occult crimes, paranormal investigations, urban legends, and strange happenings. Welcome to Myths, Magic, and Murder. <laughs> hey, welcome to Myths, Magic, and Murder. This is episode 60. I'm Abby. I'm Kate, and we'll be your ghostesses the day before my birthday. Happy birthday, Kate. Pre-birthday. Thank you. It's on the 3rd, so you can all cheer, celebrate, enjoy the festivities. <laughs> of Kate's big birthday. Woo! Big old 23. God. Near in the end. <laughs> so, what are you covering today, Kate? This week, I'm going to be talking about the Blackburn Cult, otherwise known as the Divine Order of the Great Eleven, or the snappier version, the Great Eleven Club. Well, I hope it's good, because I originally wanted to do that. <laughs> yeah, this was another one where we both decided that we were going to do the same one again, and I won. But we knew this in advance, so I already had this stuff prepared, so it's okay. And I'm covering a demonic murder... A possession, an exorcism, some spooky demon stuff. Should be exciting. Ooh. But first, in strange news this week, thank you to Charlotte and Alicia for letting us know that scientists think that they've solved the strange mystery surrounding the Dial of Pass incident, which was, I think, 60 years ago. So that's pretty crazy. Um, actually, it's Dyatlov. How did I say it? Dyatlov. Oh, shush. <laughs> you know what I mean. If you haven't heard of this wild, mysterious incident, Kate covered it a little while back on the show. Don't remember exactly which episode, but basically, she's going to tell me off regardless of what I say, nine explorers, including a well-trained instructor, died in extremely strange and mysterious ways, scattered across like, around the area. They were all well-trained. But one of them was more specifically well-trained, right? He was like a veteran. They were all going on like to achieve the final like grade two or grade three which is like super hard to get so all of them had a lot of hiking experience yeah there are tons of theories about this from like secret military uh, equipment to aliens but scientists now have a new theory that they think they've actually cracked the case so weather reports from that night indicate that there was no snowfall but the diary of the explorers noted that there were very strong winds that scientists think could have caused an avalanche and there's no evidence of an avalanche when the investigators checked the site, so it would have been a very small avalanche that contained like a large block of ice that sort of infilled the campsite before being buried in fresh snow. Obviously, the big question here is how could this have caused such intense injuries? Because some people were missing tongues or eyes, not wearing clothes, others had completely broken bodies, heads, you know. But the answer is inspired by Disney's Frozen, the one with the boppin' songs. What a what a legend of a film. It was Olaf. He's the murderer. <laughs> you all know this movie. If you don't watch it, then I'm sure your kids do. But um, this, the head of the snow avalanche simulation, um, John Gorm, he's works in a Swiss technical institute. And when he saw Frozen, he was so blown away that he went to Hollywood to see how they pulled off the snow animation, which I think is just also really wholesome. Like, whoa, that snow is way better than my snow. <laughs> I'll trade you. Right? So then he met the specialist who worked on the snow effects for Frozen and began using their code in his avalanche simulation models instead of his own one to see how they would have had an impact on the human body with the new code. And after discovering that a small avalanche could cause severe trauma injuries, 
Scientists then suggested that an avalanche fell and buried some of the people in, in like outside of the tent, the ones who weren't in the tent, um, were sort of hit with the avalanche, and the ones who were in the tent were stuck in the tent overnight, or however long it took. And when they were finally able to leave the tent, they went away to try and, you know, find their friends, obviously. But by doing that, they found them without the eyes and the tongues because they could have been scavenged by animals, which I think we talked about, but we couldn't piece together why they were in such random locations. Yeah. I think the main thing was just that, like, it looked like there was an avalanche, except there was no sign of an avalanche, you know? Like, the tent kind of had snow on it, but it wasn't like a huge avalanche had come across and, like, crushed them. So I think it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, with the new snowfall and the... Yeah, because the t- they cut through the side of the tent to get out of it. Yeah, so they were thinking that it had been hit. So then when they eventually cut out of the tent to go, they had, um, which is why they were so spread out, they had what you mentioned last time, which was when they got hypothermia and they had paradoxical undressing where yeah. they thought they were too hot so they would take off their clothes and then they would freeze which would explain why they were all half naked or some of them were and also they may have had traces of radioactivity in their bodies because thorium can sometimes be found in camping lanterns apparently which could explain that wow so what do you think you think it's legit you covered it i think it sounds relatively believable honestly i mean I'm going to be frank with you, I do not remember all of the tiny minute details of the Dyatlov Pass incident. Surprisingly, we have covered quite a few things since then. So, but from what I remember, it sounds like a very good fit. It sounds like a great explanation and I am so glad that Disney's Frozen played a main part in it. I'm so glad that something worthwhile currently has come out of Disney's Frozen. That's just rude. (laughs) There's no need for that. It was a good movie, but I was sick of the songs by the end of it because my niece would play them all the time and I can't be around yeah, with that. Yeah, me too. Yeah. I'm so glad she's now hit tween age. Mm, yeah, well, it gets to a point where you're just like, I don't want to hear Let It Go Again. And if I do, I'm going to let something go. It's going to yeah, be my, my fist into this wall. I told my dad it was snowing here the other day and he was like, do you want to build a snowman? And I was like, delete me from your list. It's like gone back around now where I think I would enjoy the movie again because it's been a l- enough time. That kids have stopped talking about it constantly. Also, they're one actual horror movie, like, three minutes in, and their parents have died in a horrible storm. I know. Anyway. tragic. Anyway, this isn't about Disney's Frozen. Would you like to tell me your story? I would love to. My sources are Los Angeles Times, thegreatcoursesdaily.com, Wikipedia, lalmanac.com, samuelford.com, biblegateway.com, usinflationcalculator.com, and horrorhistory.net. Ooh, an inflation calculator. Ooh, money's involved. (laughs) So this cult was created by Matilda May Otis Blackburn, known by her followers as Queen May, or more impressively, the heel of God. Humble. Right? Call me that. (laughs) Call me the heel of God. What an odd part of God to pick. Like the elbow of God. You don't stub the heel. I don't stub most of my body. Oh, wow. Okay, we get it. We're not all clumsy. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so her name was Matilda, but she went by May. She was born on August 2nd, 1881 in Iowa. And surprisingly for a cult leader, there really isn't that much information on her. At all. Was it a shit cult? (laughs) Um, it, It seems like a reasonably large cult. So I don't know. I don't know if she had any siblings. I don't know what her home life was like. I don't know what everything was like when she was young. Literally, records only sort of tell you about the cult. 
and her just before and in the cult. I guess that's what's the most relevant. What it did say, however, was that she had a child named Ruth. As far as I'm aware, the father of Ruth was Ward Blackburn, who was a self-proclaimed Oriental mystic. In addition to this, he was also May's stepbrother. Oh, that sounds exciting. And a paedophile, so we don't like Ward. Oh, fuck Ward. Jesus. May's mother was Jenny Blackburn, born in 1864, and they seem to have a relatively close relationship, as in, like, both May and Ruth and Jenny. Um, She is involved in the cult later on, so I'm kind of guessing they were all right with each other. In 1922, Ruth was really into acting, dancing, and songwriting. I think she actually got into a film, um, so they moved to California, specifically Los Angeles, um, in 1922, so when Ruth was 24. Is this Glee? Acting, singwriting, sangwriting. Sang? (laughs) Right? Sarah Jessica Parker's going to be the head of (laughs) a big, big business. Shortly after getting there, though, both her, so Ruth, and her mother, May, claimed that both Angel Gabriel and Michael had appeared to them, and said that May and her daughter were the two witnesses mentioned in the book of Revelation 11.3, which reads, And I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and threescore days, clothed in sackcloth. Now, I'm not sure about the sackcloth. I was going to say, what sackcloth is that like? I presumed it was like the clothing. You know, that sounds nice. Wearing a big old potato sack. Me on Halloween <laughs> as a child. <laughs> not again. From here, both May and Ruth said that the angels wanted them to write a book of divine knowledge and revelation that would basically tell of an apocalypse that was coming. They were originally going to call it the Seventh Trumpet of Gabriel, but changed it to the Great Sixth Seal. As well as it being an information booklet on the end of the world, it would also contain places with hidden riches and oil deposits. Sick, like a treasure hunt. Yeah. That also mentions the end of the world, but we'll just just gloss past that. Skim over that. May went about telling everyone that she and her daughter were really important because of this impromptu chat. Oh my goodness, that's hard to say. Impromptu chat with angels. They started referring to themselves as queens and high priestesses, and people started lapping it up. So they made the group, called the Divine Order of the Royal Arms of the Great Eleven. The name was from her claim that after the apocalypse, eleven queens would rule the world from mansions on Olive Hill in Hollywood. This is very specific. I know. Why did she? How did she think of this? The angels told her. She was sat there with a mood board, like, when it ends, <laughs> I want a huge house on this hill. It's going to have 500 bathrooms. Oh, God. You know when you do, like, um, like a random event generator? Yeah. Sounds like that. She was playing The Sims, and she was like, man, this big mansion's nice. When you play Mad Libs, and it's like, there will be 11 queens on Olive Hill, Hollywood, you know? <laughs> anyway. It's like M.A.S.H., Oh god, not mad. Anyway, they started gaining followers fast, and so Ruth and her mum decided, hey, we can just make this a living and take our followers' money. So they did. One such victim was Clifford Dabney. He was new money. His uncle was an oil guy, so there was a lot of family money for him to spend on being in a cult. All in all, he spent around $50,000 on being in the cult, and one of the first... Sorry... 
he spent the money on being in the cult, but also so that he could receive the first publication of the book so that he knew where the oil deposits were. Okay, that makes sense. In today's money, that's about $770,000. Holy shit. I was like, wow, 50 grand's a lot, but like, that's crazy. Yeah. Whoa. It was in money and assets. Okay, pal. So one of the assets was in the form of 164 acres of land in Simi Valley. This is where May and Ruth eventually got cult members to build cabins, where they would all live together and wait for the return of Christ. This doesn't sound like it's going to end well. No, it does not. It wasn't... There's a pattern here with these cults. <laughs> right? It wasn't just for the cabins, though. They also built a big temple, which had a huge golden throne that Christ would sit in when he came back. At least they're, like, accommodating. They're preparing for him. But actually, you know, rather than just being like, we're preparing mentally, they're like, we've bought, bought him a house. <laughs> we've go. built him a chair. Your very own house. Extreme makeover. Dinner's in the oven. <laughs> Dinner's in the oven. Oh. There was also a natural amphitheatre here, known as the Harmony Hamlet, which is where everyone would gather of an evening, dress in your robes, perform the sacrifices, and then dance naked. Well, that sounds fun, doesn't it? The cult sacrificed only animals, as far as people are aware, including dogs and mules. Well, that's sad, but at least they didn't kill people. Moving on. <laughs> in order to pay for expenses, all of the cult members were forced to work in a tomato packing factory nearby, and then give 100% of their earnings over to May and Ruth. Apart from this, people did not leave unless they had express permission from May. One time they did leave, though. Because May was like, we're going on a road trip. There are two cars. Everyone try and fit in. (laughs) Everyone squish in. Yeah, right. Come on, shuffle over. They were supposed to be going on a kind of pilgrimage across the Mojave Desert, but she stopped when they were deep into Death Valley. She was talking about a bottomless pit, and eventually they turned up to Devil's Hole. Devil's Hole? Do you know what it is? No, but it doesn't sound friendly. Oh. It's just a geothermal pool. In the middle of the valley. The bottom has never been mapped out, and there are caverns that, like, branch off of the original hole. That strikes a deep, deep fear into my heart. Many, many things do. Is it? Is it water? Yeah. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> With depths of at least 400 foot or 130 meters. Yikes. Do not like that. But Barely like, like say... going to the pool. Actually, I don't. Can't swim. <laughs> but like I say, it hasn't been mapped out, so we don't know how deep it is, but it's at least that deep. The planet, when I think about the water on it, oh, it brings me such fear. (laughs) It's naturally occurring, and people think it turned up over 500,000 years ago. Fun fact! It houses the Devil's Hole pupfish, which are super cute, and it's the only place they live. The water in the Devil's Hole is very hot, about 33 degrees Celsius, or 91 Fahrenheit, and it's oxygen poor, so they're the only thing, as far as we know can live in there oh it's a pretty cute fish isn't it right he's making such a sweet little face (laughs) it's so happy another fun fact charles manson was also intrigued by death valley and also disposed of bodies spoiler in the devil's hole and the spawn movie ranch 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 goodness me i hate saying american words when i'm horribly british (laughs) uh, which is also known as the manson family hq was only a few miles away from May's cult hangout. Oh my god, bros, but like, years apart. What if they like, bumped into each other? 
then they'd probably have an arm wrestle or something because only one of them could be the cult leader. Right? Anyway. May didn't turn up here to go on about the wildlife and geological marvel that it is. She was like, yeah, have you seen these cute-ass fish? <laughs> she was like, look, everyone has come here just for these fishies. That's me. How <laughs> sweet. If I had friends. It's believed that she came here to dispose of bodies. May probably poisoned those that she didn't get along with, including Ruth's husband. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Samuel Rizzio, who allegedly hit Ruth and then was never seen again. Oh, okay. There's a reason for it. I was thinking she just didn't like him. No. He hit a queen. Don't do that. And then just wasn't seen again. In total, five cult members went missing, which is surprisingly low. Yeah. For a cult. Mm, Yeah. It's not good. Oh, it's still not very nice, is it? And there are stories that one of them, Francis Turner, was put in a hot brick oven for two days. Holy shit. As almost like an alternative medicine to cure her because she was paralyzed. Obviously, though, she died. That's brutal. Yeah. Oh my gosh. A poor woman. One story of a possible poisoning goes as follows. A newspaper clipping that I found said, The poison had been sprinkled on the sand at a beach ceremony, as my husband was directed to walk through it ten times, saying, I am a dead man. The ceremony was performed in an effort to quit him of a belief not approved of by the cult, so that he could be converted into the light of the sixth seal. Hmm. The man in question is Mr. Rizzo, I think, whose body has never been found. Was that her husband? No, I found that Ruth's husband was Rizzio, so I don't know if Rizzo and Rizzio went missing, or whether one is the same, or whatever. Just a spell mist. I guess it's hard to tell if it was... What year was this? The 20s. Yeah, I was going to say it's quite a while back. A hundred years ago. Mm. Oh, oh. Ooh. I say that like I was around in the 20s and it's making me feel old. Yeah, right. God, I'm aging so Back gracefully. when I was in the 20s, in the cult. <laughs> back when I was minus 70 years old. <laughs> it seems as though the cult didn't have a specific MO. Um, because poisoning is mentioned a lot with May. But another clipping said that indications were found that a charge of dynamite had been exploded in the chest cavity in an effort to dispose of a body and make recognition impossible. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It amazes me. I think lots of cults are formed from religion at somewhere, and I, I understand that people who start a cult are, I guess, usually mentally ill or power-hungry or both. Mm-hmm. But ones that come from religion... I'm like, if you're out here saying that you're waiting for Jesus and you're super religious, mm-hmm. what are you killing people for? Well, I guess it's just people that like go against you. Yeah, but... It's the same as any sort of extremism in religion. Oh yeah, I get it. But it's like, it just baffles me. I, I understand the concept. But oh yeah, it's crazy. Especially if it, you've only known crazy. someone like a year and then they're like, kill this guy. And you're like, all right. Like cults are insane. Mm-hmm. They're so fascinating. All in all, it just seems like no one really knew what they were doing. There was no set way to do things. They just really didn't want to get caught. Sounds like a pretty messy cult. Yeah. And I'm not really surprised because I'm presuming the members were left to deal with the cleanup of the people that, like, Ruth or May killed. Yeah. And they were probably afraid of May because at this point she was telling people she had hypnotic powers and mystical energy. Yeah, that that's a scary thing to say some, to someone. Yeah, exactly. I would be trying to clear everything up quickly. 
Dynamite does not make for quick clear up though, but no. But I guess if you think about it, no, actually, there's no. No, there is no. Mm. Mm. So as you can see, it's becoming less and less of a wholesome cult as time goes on. When was it a wholesome cult? Well, in the beginning, when she was just like queens, that Fair wasn't enough. wholesome. Fair that was enough. a huge red flag. Well, yeah, but nothing bad had happened. Yeah, true. But at this point, you definitely couldn't call it wholesome. Except the mule sacrifices. We'll yeah, just but, gloss over I mean, those. glossing over those. Yeah, but they didn't get that until they moved into the Simi Valley place, did they? Mm. So, okay. Just saying. I feel like you just... Anyway. <laughs> the aversion to modern medicine really wasn't helping either. If they'd have used this rather than a hot brick oven, I mean, I understand that there's no way to cure paralysis, but still, just avoiding the hot brick oven would have been a good step in the right direction. Anything but that, really. It also would have saved Willa Rhodes's life. This was back in 1925, and she was a priestess within the cult. She had an untreated abscessed tooth and eventually died from this as she was denied treatment. However, May claimed that she hadn't died from a tooth disease, she had instead died from wrongful belief, and told all of the cult members, including Willa's parents, that she would be resurrected after 1,260 days. Also very specific. In the meantime, they were to keep her body as preserved as possible. So they put her body into a bathtub filled with ice, salt, and different spices. Ew. Yeah. That's really gross. Yep. Her parents were obviously keen for the idea to work, so they kept this up even after they moved house. They brought Willa's body with them and put it in a metal coffin under the floors of their new home. Oh my gosh, that's really gross and also kind of scary. It was next to a different coffin containing the bodies of seven puppies that had been sacrificed to represent the seven tones of Gabriel's trumpet. Oh no. Eventually the body was found by police in 1929. So it's been, I think it was... 14 months of her being preserved, as far as I'm aware. That's so, a long time to keep a body around. Yeah, some sources changed how long it had been or whatever, but in general, I think it was about 14 months. They didn't charge the parents for failing to report the death and the unlawful disposal of the corpse, although they could have. Instead, the blame was directed more towards Ruth and May, However, there were no deaths that could be proven or pinned on them since Willa had died from tooth disease and there were no other 100% confirmed deaths from them. Like the oven one was disputed, the poison one disputed. There was no, here's the body, here's how they died, it was them. Must be annoying being a detective in a situation like that mm -hmm. where you're like, I know you've done something, but I, I can't prove it, so. Yeah. Luckily though, Clifford Dabney, the rich Uncle Pennybag guy from earlier, had decided that with some other members, enough is enough. They filed fraud and theft charges against May because the book still had not come out. All in all, the charges amounted to about $200,000, which is over $3 million nowadays. Wow. Wowzers. Wowzers. It was around this point that Jenny, May's mother, chained herself to the bed for several months in order to meet the angels as her daughter and granddaughter had done previously. I'm presuming it's kind of to show devotion to God, like the guy from Da Vinci Code. I've not seen it. Okay, I realise now that that is also the most vague <laughs> sentence yeah. I've ever said. Um, 
basically he i think his name is silas and he is a member of the opus dei which is like a catholic order and he partakes in severe corporal mortification which is just denying earthly pleasures so like some people go around um celibacy some people fast other people flog themselves okay which is what he did so like it's a way more extreme version yeah okay that so makes sense i guess could be that that's kind of what she's doing by like denying herself whatever freedom of movement yeah that kind of thing may was then convicted of eight out of 15 of the accounts of grand theft oh yeah but there was another problem the california supreme court had to reject the conviction in 1931 because there was no proof she didn't believe wholeheartedly in her promises and religion, even though she was extremely unconventional, bordering on offensive. An example of this is when she was in court, she said, I've raised the dead on five different occasions. I've been dead and brought myself back to life. My daughter died once before and I brought her back to life. I can prove it. Okay, so it sounds like she's not doing it to take the piss, she's doing it because she genuinely believes it. Exactly. When I was researching this, I was like, wow, it's surprising that she didn't get sent to a mental hospital. Right? But then I remembered how much money she had. Ah. Mm, So I guess that explains it. Also, all of the members of the cult had been of sound mind when they were giving her money. So the Supreme Court were just kind of like, shit judge character you, ain't you? Mm. Like, there's nothing. You gave her the money. You were of sound mind. Yeah, what are you supposed to do now? Exactly. And finally, the Supreme Court was worried about the backlash of convicting May because they didn't want to encroach on religious freedom, which is protected in the US Constitution. So, May went free. She eventually released a book, five years later, called The Origin of God, by which time, though, her cult had fallen apart because no one trusted that she wasn't using them for money, and also none of them wanted to die, um, and also the press was rightfully so really harsh on her so she didn't have a cult left and then she died in 1951 ruth carried on living a life and that's it no one knows where the bodies are or what happened and as far as anyone is aware the divine order of the royal arms of the great 11 have disbanded entirely oh hopefully well we'll see so what do you think i think uh interesting she just sounds like she fully believed in what she was saying and that led a lot of people the wrong way, you know? Fair. How, out of all of the cults that we've sort of spoken about, how scary a cult do you think this is? Oh, in comparison to the other cults we've talked about? Yeah, because in general, cults are reasonably scary. But we've talked about a few now. Hmm, I think probably a two... Two and a half, let's say. Two and a half. Because people still died. Mm-hmm. It was still scary. But if you're if you're comparing it to something like um, the Manson family, Jonestown, Heaven's Gate, yeah, things where it was it was so intense so quickly, yeah, it you can't really compare that, you know. Yeah, and there was no sort of mention in this of 
I mean, it's possible that it happened, but there was no mention of it. But they didn't seem to have to cut their hair. They didn't seem to have to break all of their family ties, all of their friends' ties, you know. Obviously, yeah, they couldn't leave um, without permission. But as far as I know, she didn't have armed guards. Yeah. So... It was less escalated, I feel like. Definitely. I mean, if it had continued, maybe if the police hadn't got involved, maybe it would have got to that point. But, yeah, how dangerous. Five people died. Fair enough. Likelihood that she was right. Zero. Zero. She's not not giving May the time of day. I think that anyone who is like, I'm the queen of this, I'm starting a cult, give me all of your money, we're going to move into this village together. (sighs) No. I don't buy it. I think if you were really contacted by God, I don't personally believe in like a God, but if you did and you were personally contacted by them, Mm. would you then be doing all of this? Probably not. Yeah, I feel like, first of all, it's odd that angels would be like, you should totally write a book, hon. Right? Yeah. And also that they would give her so much importance. Like, surely you're really important for being a messenger anyway. Surely you're not a queen. Well, yeah. But even if you were, I feel like... I feel like I was raised uh, Catholic and Jesus seemed like a pretty humble guy. You know? Fair. I can't really see that if, if you were given some kind of divine purpose in, in that kind of situation, you would then go about everything the way that she went about everything. Yeah, she was so definitely, just, like, profiteering. Yeah, so I just don't really... I don't really buy it. Fair enough. So... Any any ideas? Also, she's not... How are you going to bring the dead back? Yeah, right. And then she had no proof of it. Yeah, and um, Willa did not come back from the dead, so... Yeah. So, you know, there you go. Any ideas then? Just mental health? Yeah. I think she just had false beliefs. Or, you know, she had some kind of mental illness. Or she'd believed in this so much. Maybe it was a story at first to get people on her side. Or to pay her. Or to think that she was really important, maybe sort of like a power trip, and then she started to believe it. Okay. So believed her own lie. Yeah, or she didn't believe it and was just doing it for the the money and the notoriety, I guess. Fair. Definitely. You never know, do you? No, that you do not, unfortunately. And we can't ask her. We can't. But we can ask you to support us. Yeah, if you like the podcast and you want to... Oh, she's making a... Flipping her hair. She's excited about that transition. <laughs> if you would like to follow us on social media, you can do that at Myths Magic Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Instagram is our primary platform, but we also post on the others, so you can go check that out. And if you want to support us on Patreon, you can do that at patreon.com forward slash Myths Magic Murder. Thank you to everybody who's already doing that. We love you. You should. Go support us on Patreon. That would be really lovely for us and for you as well. There is video content. There is 10% off the merch over on mythsmagicandmurder.com. It is .com, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, before I lie to everyone. There is information on what the next episode's going to be. There's like little sort of alliances forming. I'm seeing you guys chatting to each other. It's really nice. And you can tell us whether you want any requests or any stories that you have yourself. You can also do that over on the website. And if you have any haunted happenings, terrifying tales or spooky stories, you should email those to us or DM us or put it on the website. Do whatever you want to do. Let us know. Our email is mismagicamurder at gmail.com. 
Thank you for that, Kate. You're welcome, Ab. Please tell me about your horrifying tales. Oh, she's determined to know about demons. I think we all are. Me, specifically. I have no idea what I've written. I went into a trance. Anyways. <laughs> My story today is the possession of Michael Taylor. This story features a demon, a possession, an exorcism, and a murder, so let's get straight into it. Woo! My sources are mysteriousuniverse.org, truecrimeenthusiast.co.uk, wikipedia, and grunge.com. So this story takes place in 1974 in Osset, which is near West Yorkshire in England. It's a quiet town with a small population. Michael Taylor was a 31-year-old butcher and was married to his wife, Christine. They had five children together and a family dog. You say butcher? <laughs> butcher? Butcher. Butcher. <laughs> Why do you say it like that? Because you've never heard me say that word butcher. before. Butcher. Butcher, governor. Oh, we get it. We have different accents. <laughs> butcher. Anyway, they had a dog. Apparently the dog was a poodle, but we don't have any confirmation on that. It doesn't really matter. I love that you, you looked it up. Well, it was important, isn't it? They were a happy and typical family, and they were popular amongst the neighbourhood. Occasionally, Michael was prone to minor bouts of depression because he had chronic back pain, but this was his only real issue, this was the only family's issue. They, were, they seemed happy. The town at the time was highly Christian, and many people went to their local church. But Michael and his family weren't overly religious, they weren't really bothered, they went to church sometimes, but just not very often. That is, until he joined a Christian fellowship group. Oh no. His friend... <laughs> Sorry, I've written Barbary. <laughs> his friend Barbara, Barbary. that's not even funny, had suggested that he join this group because it might help his mental health, which makes sense. He took this suggestion seriously and began attending regular meetings. The pastor of the group was 21-year-old Marie Robinson, and it became apparent that Michael was interested in her as he began spending inappropriate amounts of time around her. Mm, I love it when it's inappropriate amount of time. Well, Marie would perform exorcisms and engage in private rituals that Michael soon became a part of. How do you get into that? You know what I mean? Like, when your friend is, is conducting exorcisms, you're like, oh, always been interested. You should take me along. Let me hang out here. Yeah, right? Like, why do you want to be there, Michael? Well, the two would stay up all night, making the sign of the cross at each other to ward off the evil power of the full moon. Can we start doing that? <laughs> <laughs> we already do it. <laughs> Damn, you've given away our trade secret. Because of this, he began spending much less time at home with his family, and when he was with them, he became angry and irritable, which was a complete flip on how calm and friendly and loving he was to his family before. How old is he? 31. Oh, goodness what? Well, I was just like, oh, typical teen. Oh no, he's 31, he's got five kids. Sorry, I forgot. He's married. I'm sorry. Anyways, they suspected that the church group had gotten to him, and it was negatively influencing him. And this only got worse. Michael began exhibiting erratic behaviour as his bond with Marie grew stronger. It bothered his wife Christine so much that one time when they were at church together, and his, his uh, church friends were there, she called him out and was like, you're being unfaithful with oh Marie. God. Drama. Oh, I love a bit of church drama. At this point... <laughs> Sometimes you say things and I imagine it out of context. At this point, Michael reported to have felt an evil influence cast a shadow over him. 
he experienced a sudden rage and began lashing out on Christine verbally and physically. Several churchgoers had to physically restrain him because they feared that he would hurt her, hurt her or himself. Screw Michael. Marie said that he looked at her like a beast and she screamed out of fear and both she and Michael started speaking in tongues because apparently, just worth noting, Marie does that. Oh, sorry. Hmm? When she does exorcisms or oh, she during, just does that. It's during her rituals, she just does that. So he started doing that too. And then she started saying Jesus over and over again. And once Christine noticed, she started saying Jesus over and over again. And Marie said that she thinks she stayed alive during this because she called on Jesus. This is something. It's a pretty chaotic moment if you try and imagine it all together, yeah. I know, right? Poor Emerald is in the back grabbing her sandwiches from church. You know what I mean? She's just she's she's there for the fair the next day. They're all having a chill time, and then this shit happens. Michael claimed to have no memory of this. Well, you would if you just attacked your wife. You would claim to have no memory. The next day, Michael went to church as normal, and Marie gave him full forgiveness. But the other church members were really wary of him Good. and just kept a close eye on him. However, it became obvious that Michael was getting worse because his bad behaviour and outbursts became more frequent. His sanity was clearly slipping and local ministers stepped in because they were concerned that he was under the influences of demonic forces. The local vicar came to the conclusion, which was pretty controversial, that they should perform an exorcism on him. Alright, I mean, 0 to 100 really quick there. So... An exorcism was scheduled, and it was performed by two ministers at midnight on the 5th of October, 1974. As soon as the exorcism began, Michael began experiencing uncontrollable fits and began scratching, spitting, biting and screaming. He was subjected to crosses being put on his mouth, being forced to confess his sins, and they threw holy water at him. You know, the standard. As you do. The priest said that Michael had 40 demons in him, and they pulled them out one by one, which went out, went on for eight hours. You know what annoys me about demonic possession? Go is ahead. that there always seems to be room for bountiful amounts of demons. I think that, and I'm a demonologist. It's like, what was that one that we did? And it was like 760 demons. Yeah. You know the one. And I just, I can't get on board with it. There's not even that much room for my thoughts, and it's just me in here. Let alone 40-odd demons. I have too many thoughts. My brain feels like it's going to explode most of the time. Yeah, imagine that. Plus 40 demons. Oh, fuck off. Maybe I'm possessed currently. Maybe. Can can my demon get me to do something cool? Can your demon get you to clean up? Can my demon teach me how to skate? (laughs) Anyways, yeah, this went on for eight hours. At 8am, the priests were really exhausted and they wanted to stop. But they did say that Michael still had three demons in him. Oh, God. And one of them was a demon of murder. Why didn't they get that one out first? Because you can't pick and choose, I guess. But they said they'd just come back to it later. Are you joking They me? said, we can get it tomorrow. Are you having a bubble? One of the minister's wives, Margaret, was there with them. You're already there. <laughs> so why was she there? <laughs> I don't know. Tagging along. Stop. Right. This is a public service announcement. Stop tagging along to exorcisms. It's dumb. It's not clever, and you're going to get hurt. Yeah, it's, someone's whistling Ooh, scarily crazy. outside. I love it. Come um, fix my heating. Yeah, right? Please fix the heating, it's cold. Anyways, 
yeah, so m- m- uh, Margaret was there alongside the exorcism. She was viewing popcorn. I don't know. But viewing. she had what received a mental, a mental warning that the demon would kill someone if the exorcism stopped. So she begged them to please continue. But Thank you, Margaret. They were like, no, go Aww. get some rest, Michael. Go home to your wife. Go to sleep. We can just continue this tomorrow. Why didn't they at least keep him there? Go home, go home, Michael. Go see your wife who you literally attacked a few days ago. So Michael went home to rest for the next part of the exorcism when at 9.45, a police patrol vehicle witnessed a naked man covered entirely in blood, head to toe, stumbling around the streets. Oh, I wonder who that is. It was Michael. Oh, well, yeah, I figured. <laughs> the police officer obviously pulled him over. They pulled over to, to go see him. They didn't. Pull him over, obviously. And like Michael, he's a car. <laughs> Michael crawled into a ball on the ground and began screaming, it is the blood of Satan. The police called an ambulance immediately because he thought it was Michael's blood. And the officers approached him, who was now surrounded by, you know, a small crowd of people who wanted to see what was going on. Yeah, like they do at the exorcisms. Yeah, the, the viewing. <laughs> the watch party. That'll be us when we do live shows. <laughs> They told the police that they recognised him, that it was Michael Taylor, and they gave him his address, which the police patrol car headed to. When the police arrived at the house, they were surprised when they found another police car already there. It had been called by neighbours who'd heard a violent commotion. When the officer entered the room, he saw the chaos that Michael had caused. This part is really gross. As a warning... Okay, I'll leave. It's a bit graphic, but I think it's necessary so you understand, sort of. Anyways, we'll just get into it. So, the front room was destroyed and covered in blood and chunks of flesh. Ew. The body of Christine Taylor lay on the floor. Her face had been completely ripped from her skull to the bone. Her (sighs) eyes and her tongue had been ripped out. Oh. And she was almost unrecognisable. Well, yeah, I'm not bloody surprised. How would you recognise someone like that? Mm, yeah, it was apparently very brutal. Also, the dog no. was also strangled no. to death. No. And it had its limbs ripped out of its sockets. Why did you have to tell me that? There was worse things for the dogs, but I didn't want you to... Good. Freak out more. Good. If you want to know that, you can go look it up. And also, take a good long look at yourself in the mirror. Also, there was no murder weapon. He'd done this with his bare hands. He just ripped her apart with his hands before running out the door. Yeah, naked. No. So obviously it's very graphic. I didn't want to tell you how it was, but I feel like it's needed to see the full impact of this crime as someone who was described as being just an everyday guy. Because it wasn't quick and easy like a lot of murders. It's pretty brutal and intense. The police found the crime seemed to be the most horrific crime they'd ever investigated, and they claimed Michael from the hospital and put him into police custody. Well, I'm glad it's the worst that they'd seen. Yeah, I guess. Silver cloud, wait. Cloud line. Silver cloud. <laughs> Several hours later. <laughs> You're a fucking idiot. Several hours later, once he'd calmed down, they asked him what had happened. Michael told the detective about the exorcism that occurred, and he said, It was a long night. They danced around me and burned my cross because it was tainted with evil. They had me in church all night. Look at my hands. 
I was banging on the floor. The power was in me. I couldn't get rid of it and neither could they. They were too late. I was compelled by a force within me to destroy everything living within the house. So Michael claimed not to remember anything of the murder and said that he deeply loved his wife, but he also said that he, he felt released and that the evil in her had been destroyed. Okay. He was charged with murder and sent to Broadmoor Hospital, which is a high security psychiatric hospital in the UK. They have a long list of notable patients. We've covered a few. They do, yeah. He spent most of his time at the hospital sleeping or just being in silence, and his trial happened in March, so about six months later. The media were obviously very excited about this because it was such a bizarre situation and horrible murder, and neither the prosecution or the defence denied that he had severe mental issues. What happened to his kids? I guess they were just taken because he was in hospital. Yeah, but he said he needed to kill everything living in the house. I guess they weren't home. Well, thank God for that. It didn't say anything about his kids. It just said that they were obviously orphaned after this because their dad was in hospital. Wow. So I guess they got sent to live with somebody else. I don't know. There wasn't a lot of information on them. I don't know how old they were either. Could you imagine? Like, I feel like this isn't spoken about enough. When kids are involved and, like, it's their parents, you know, imagine then growing up and hearing what happened. Yeah, right. That's awful. Yeah. Really, really horrible. He said that he'd been under the, under the control of supernatural forces and he had no recollection. He also said that he suspected that his wife was also under the control of demons. Which I find quite odd because why would a demon want to get another demon? What would be the point? Yeah, I thought maybe it was like the evil in her because she was like God-loving and he was a demon. Possibly. This is a very confusing story. I guess we'll talk about it more at the end. It was also noted at trial that the Christian Fellowship Group was more like an influential cult that essentially filled Michael with false information that made his condition worse, which is why he snapped, because they were very cult-like, performed a lot of rituals, speaking in tongues, just generally not... Not the normal Christian Fellowship type thing. Yes, exactly. They also blamed the exorcism itself, saying that at this point, not only was he mentally ill and sleep deprived, but he was also, and obviously like in pain if they were hurting him, but he was full of ideas and beliefs that they'd fed him and this pushed him over the edge. Right. He was found to not be guilty by reason of insanity and he was deemed to be both clinically and legally sane and he was sent to psychiatric hospitals for four years before he was released because they thought they thought he was cured. What? You're going to let a man roam the streets that literally ripped someone else's face off. The case ended up being the last recorded exorcism by the Anglican Church. And there was a lot of public outcry about the use of exorcisms within the church after this, which is why that happened. The minister continued to claim that he'd been possessed and that it seemed strange people were questioning the exorcism. Also worth noting, though, after Michael was released, he was in the news again for sexually harassing an underage girl. No, Michael... You're a dickhead. And what's crazy is that they failed to bring up his previous trial and he was just like, they deemed him low risk of reoffending and just gave him community service and sent him on his way. I think there's a law about it where you can't bring previous convictions into it if you've already spent time for them. So if he wasn't on parole... If he's already served his sentence, which was four years, I don't think you're allowed to mention it in court. 
I just find it baffling, though. Yeah. This guy did a horrifically brutal crime, was clearly not very well, enough to kill someone, and not even just kill someone, kill someone in that circumstance, in yeah. that method, and then was let out after four years because they thought he was fine. Obviously, yeah. he can't be fine. Yeah, someone that's capable of that much um, anger, really. Yeah, if he'd had like a, a mental breakdown and like stabbed her once, maybe... I'd be like, okay. Yeah, it's still there are definitely less but... violent ways to do it. I mean, he's still, even if you stab someone, like you still deserve more than four years. Oh, for definitely. It. But I mean, you can kind of. But there's definitely it makes more sense. I yeah, guess. it's not as extreme, is it? But it's not as passionate. It was four the bare years. hands that that I feel tipped it for me. It's the bare hands for me. And that's all. So let's do the scare scale, and we'll go into whether this was actually a legit demonic possession or nah. Oh, nah. Okay. How scary do you think this crime was? I don't think it's very scary. I'm going to say a three. I think it's like middle ground scary. I think it's more just awful, you know, but we know doing this podcast, being human beings, that people are capable of these things and it is absolutely awful. But I think it's more dangerous than scary. How dangerous? Five. Five. Someone did die. Someone died. And not only that, someone died in an awful way. And the dog too. Yeah. Likelihood that he was possessed by a demon. Or, I guess, 40 demons, if you'd like. I'm going to say two. I don't think it's completely unrealistic because we've covered far more unrealistic demon stories in the past. Okay. Um... But, first of all, I don't think that you can have, like, 800 demons inhabiting your body, you know what I mean? Yeah. I think possession is, like, all-encompassing, all and I think to be possessed by multiple things would negate the point of being possessed, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Any other ideas that you have initially? Uh mentally ill yep um maybe sort of i think maybe you know something wasn't right either from like his childhood or whatever something something just you know was low-key kind of off and then i think being in a cult accidentally he had a breakdown well yeah i mean he had a breakdown as well but also like i think they were feeding him things because if you're thinking about he was being exercised in inverted commas because we're not entirely sure that that is actually what went down. Um, and then they're saying to him, oh, you're full of 40 demons, you know, blah, 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 like counting down the demons. And they're like, oh, you still have three left in you. One of them is the demon of murder. That's what I was thinking as well. Sorry, I said that so excitedly. That's definitely one of my ideas. Yeah. yeah. And then Margaret was like, I've just had a prophecy that he's going to kill someone tonight if we do not do it. And then the rest of them were like... you're already unhinged, it's going to happen. Yeah, surely. the rest of them were like, no, it's fine, we'll leave him. So then he's gone home thinking, I'm going to kill someone, I'm going to kill someone, I'm going to kill someone. It was probably a relief for him to kill someone because he wasn't then sort of foreshadowed by, I'm going to kill someone. Interesting. So I don't How even do know... How do I write that on the scare scale? I've honestly not got a clue. Sort of led... To killing. Okay, that, makes, that makes sense. sense. Yeah. So, 
was this demonic possession or something else? I'm not too sure because this is absolutely brutal and kind of out of character, which is completely out of character for him, but it really confuses me because how could a man that is that gentle, that has lived for 31 years with and has married and had children and lived a completely normal life, commit a crime that is that horrible? Well, we have to assume that all of the facts were correct. Oh, definitely, yeah. Because for him to then go on and sexually assault a minor... I'm not sure that there were no red flags in the first place. That was partly my idea as well. But let's talk about how demons work. Demons usually follow three steps. They infest your home through something inviting them in, buying an infested item such as a doll or something else equally as creepy. It could be anything really, but when you think of a demon attached item, you think of like Annabelle. Or doing some dumb shit like a Ouija board. Yeah, that's why I said invited in. A thing a lot of people don't know is that a demon can attach themselves to you as well. Um, Paranormal investigators sometimes use a technique where you allow a spirit to temporarily enter your body so they can understand the feelings and the emotions that the spirit went through before they died. Mm -hmm. And when you have this experience, you can sometimes feel super different and not recognize those around you. And you can also lose time. This isn't demonic. And people usually get that confused with possession. So it is possible that that's what he was experiencing, but it's unlikely it would cause him to become violent. Right. But demons lie. So if you're going to invite something into you, you don't necessarily know what it is unless you're truly trained in that. Yeah, I mean, even when you're trained, you're still going to get it wrong sometimes, aren't you? Well, yeah. Also, after the infestation period, the demon will oppress you once it's already in your house. So it'll do this by making you tired, making you think you're losing your marbles... Like what you think is a traditional haunting, but it's to make you weak. Once you're weak, you're possessed. And I think it's hard for me to believe that he was going through these stages since this seemed to happen so quickly with nobody reporting any progress. So I'm going to do a little video over on Patreon, have a little discussion with Kate about the signs and stages of possession in more detail if you want to go check that out. Patreon.com forward slash MythsMagicMurder. Um, maybe, though, if he was already sort of... um weak-willed and damaged for want of a better word maybe the oppression phase was like super quick because the demon didn't need to possibly it seems weird that nobody picked up on it until he was violent though also he was at church constantly surrounded by crosses and similar items and i don't believe that demonology and demons are purely christian so i've learned it in like a multi-faith way but if you powerfully believe in anything enough, whether it be God or whatever, that should be able to protect you. And he was part of this Christian group. Yeah, but they, if the facts are right, though, it wasn't like a proper Christian group. It was a cult. It possibly, yeah. My only ideas relating to demons are that he either invited something in during his church sessions, whether it was through attachment accidentally, because demons lie. And then once it was in, he was actually possessed. Or he quickly got possessed because he was involved in these strange rituals that he probably didn't understand because it seemed very cultish and he was speaking in tongues. It's possibly that he some he just summoned something, you know? Definitely, yeah. If he's But then if he was mimicking what she was doing... I've forgotten her name. Marie. Marie, yeah. If he was mimicking what she was doing, then surely something bad would have happened to her as well. Yeah, I mean, he could have just been very mentally ill and... This group just warped his ideas of the world, made him so sure there was evil inside of him that he just snapped. And honestly, I don't know. I'm very confused on this one. I feel like usually with some kind of 
possession, I'm like, yeah, that was legit. But I just don't know. It doesn't feel right, you know? Yeah. It feels like it was just, he was completely fine, and then he met this woman, and his wife was pissing him off, and then he suddenly just snapped and killed her, is what it feels like to me. But I just can't get over how brutal it was, and he obviously had a breakdown. Or maybe he was of entirely sound mind. Maybe he was having an affair with Marie, and he was like, I need to get rid of my wife. Everyone already thinks I'm possessed, so I'm going to do it in this next level way. You know, avoid... um, going to prison for the rest of my life and blame it on a demon. That's entirely possible. Definitely, I think, because you don't know someone's true intentions. He could be the nicest person ever, but it's, that's always what they say on documentaries, isn't it? Yeah. You never know. You never you really know. Don't. No. Let us know what you think. Yeah, let us know what you think. Leave us reviews and go check out the video over on Patreon. And don't listen before bed. Listen before bed.